My guest today is an amazing guitarist, singer, songwriter, composer, and producer who's responsible for songs like Owner of a Lonely Heart and Changes as a member of Yes. He recently regrouped with John Anderson and Rick Wakeman for the ARW tour, which kicks off in October in Orlando, Florida. I'm extremely thrilled to welcome Trevor Rabin. Hi, Roy. How are you doing? Well, thank you uh, for giving me a few minutes, uh, man. I appreciate it. I know you're busy. No problem at all. So uh, you're in the studio right now, I guess? Are you working on new music? What are you doing? Yeah, we just um, actually just finished off some film stuff, just getting stuff tied up before we start getting on this tour. Well, listen, let me quickly just say, you know, I, I discovered Yes from your era with the band. 90125 was the first Yes album I ever listened to. So, oh, wow. And your solo album, Can't Look Away, is one of my all-time favorites. So, um, Oh, well, thank you very much for that. So, I, again, I just want to thank you for not only coming back and doing a reunion, but for giving me a few minutes to talk about it, which is really exciting. Let me go back a little bit, and I just want to find out, how did this start, and how many times was it attempted to get you back with John? I, there were always rumors every other year, so what happened that it finally happened? Well, you know, there was quite some time when, uh, years ago, when um, they were asking me to come back, um, after I had left for a number of years, but I was busy doing film and really had no interest in it, and then um, then John somehow, uh, something happened, and he was out the band, he got ill or something, and they fired him, and there was some animosity and stuff went on, I don't know what it was. I was so far removed from it, I really had no no idea what was going on. But every now and then, Chris Squire would call me saying, you've got to come back to the band, you've got to come back to the band. And <laughs> and I was uh, just always kind of busy with the film stuff and just loving it, and I really had no interest whatsoever. Um, although, you know, our friendship, uh, Chris and I, the other friendship never changed. Right, Right till the day he died, we were still you know, like brothers, and uh, that really never went away. But we, you know, there were a couple of moments where the manager would call me and we we went for dinner a couple of times with Chris and Alan and everybody, and um, just almost to be polite and uh, never got involved. And uh, then um, about three years ago, uh, John and I, John started calling me and uh, actually started attending some of my orchestra sessions for the films, uh, which he seemed to enjoy, and he came to quite a number of them, and uh, and we started becoming a little more friendly, a little more friendly, and and on the other side, uh, from the minute I finished, from uh, the minute I started playing with Rick Wakeman to the last date of the Union tour, uh, the the most enjoyable thing about that whole tour was. Uh, Rick and I meeting and playing together we just had a ball and vowed to play together again at some point and in fact he did a solo album some years ago and I played and sang on it and we've just always wanted to work together so then when this thing you know Chris passed away and uh, you know everyone was very sad and and uh, it just kind of naturally, because we'd been talking about it um, much more seriously, me, Rick, and John, than any kind of consideration I might have or might not have given to Yes. Um, but particularly when John left the band, I just thought Yes without John is, you know, just call it something else. I didn't see the point. Right. Um, and, 
But, you know, eventually after saying to John and Rick, you know, oh, I'd love to do it, but I'm busy, and then Rick was busy, and then John was busy, eventually we decided, okay, look, you know, we've got to discipline ourselves. We're either going to do it or it's not going to happen. And it just seemed to be the right time, and it just, you know, it was perfect storm. It just all <laughs> fell into place at the right time. Was the initial idea now to just do a tour, and and then I heard there is some music, but it it might not be ready before the tour. How's that all going along? Yeah, I, it really started off without any tour in mind at all. Oh. It started off purely let's get some music done together, and uh, we started doing. And there's, there's a lot of stuff we've been working working on, but um, you know the tour just kind of crept up and has smacked us between the ears and. Uh, there's just it turns out oh my god we're going on tour tomorrow and right. we know we're near ready with this stuff and we it, which is really a, a problem because we are so excited about it but it's just not ready and we you know we don't want to play anything which isn't ready and b even if it was ready is it going to be on youtube the next day without any kind of real quality given to the, pre- pre- presenting it properly Right. One of the problems of the day, if you know what I mean. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, so now you find yourselves with a tour around the corner and having to go back and, uh, I guess, run through, I, I can't even imagine how many songs, and uh, try to pick what to play and relearn things. So what's been the challenges there, and have you decided what songs you're even playing? Well, one of the challenges was when Rick, John, and I came up with ideas for, for the set list, the, t- the the show landed up at I think three hours and forty minutes. <laughs> sure, why not? Yeah, and uh, <laughs> so, so we've condensed it down to a reasonable amount of time. It's still too long, but uh, you know, I'd rather have people complain about it being too long than too short. To be honest, although a lot of people say let the, let them leave wanting more, you know, but <laughs> it's it's going to be a little long, but uh, I think it's going to be pretty powerful. And, uh, you know, a lot of the songs, particularly the old songs, we're really going to try and find new ways of approaching them, um, but not in a way where they're, obs- they're obscure or abstract or anything, just really powerful new ways of presenting them. Very cool. Can fans expect stuff from uh, your era, you know, things from 9125, I'm sure, but talk, albums, and things like that? Um well, there's talk of a couple of tracks from Talk. Um, there's uh, obviously we're doing a lot from 901 to 5. There's a couple of songs we're thinking about from Big Generator as well. The song Shoot I Am Low, we're going to do. Um, some others we're not quite sure about. It's just so much material to choose from, you know. Yeah, oh, Shoot High Aim, Aim Low is one of my favorites. That would be uh, amazing to hear. Oh, great. Uh, well, yeah, we're doing that. Oh, that's awesome. So when you first got together to rehearse, what, you know, what kind of emotions or, or feelings or uh, surprises happened that, that had to have been uh, sort of an interesting first rehearsal? Well, the big surprise is we haven't started yet. Oh, <laughs> which you is, really are which, late. <laughs> it's really, it's, it's quite amazing. I mean, there's been a lot of stuff we've had to prepare. You know, I haven't been on the road for 20 years, uh, so when I got back to setting up my uh, gear and everything and getting ready for it it was oh i don't really like the way this sounds and and you know almost a question of oh god is that what i sounded like 
<laughs> well, that was one of the questions I, I had for you was you, you had a unique guitar sound. Uh, part of it was this sort of high, tinny, clean solo sound, which I, I'm explaining terribly. But when you had to go back and find those different tones and different effects that we're using, did you have to scramble to figure out where those were and which ones you used on which songs? Well, it was the, the the weird thing is I go back and listen to the records and I'm quite happy with the sound, and even some of the live shows I'm happy with the sound. But when I set my stuff up and started playing through it, it was like it's, it's, I don't know what's happened, but it doesn't sound the same. So I really threw it all out and started from scratch. So I've spent a long time getting a whole new system together, which is I, I guess very cutting edge and. Uh, but um, that's what uh, I think part of the preparation is, and I know Rick is spending ages getting a, a really state-of-the-art new keyboard rig. By the time we start rehearsal, which is in a couple of weeks, we're gonna, I think we're just going to be able to go in there and play this stuff. You know, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was, uh, you, I, I'm assuming you'll play Owner of a Lonely Heart, which is sort of this legendary, iconic song at this point. And the stories behind that song are legendary, how it was this song that everybody seemed to know was going to be a hit and essentially started Yes coming back, right? Um, right. So, you know, when you look back on that, are you surprised that how that song really did become what it was meant to become and, and is still to this day, you know, immensely powerful? Well, I don't think anyone realized that uh, the song would kind of drag the album to the place it went, which was, you know, selling a, lo a lot of copies and being widely accepted. Um, but uh, I certainly was very confident from day one that something was going to happen. Um, before I joined Yes, I actually sent Owner of a Lonely Heart, along with, you know, most of the stuff that turned up on 9125 as demos I had and I sent it to Arista to Clive Davis and I I still have the, the uh, letter from his office saying while we feel your voice has top 40 appeal we feel your uh, song Own of a Lonely Heart is way too left field for the marketplace today <laughs> of and, course and uh, I, if I remember correctly um, when it went to number one I, I, I sent him a, a photograph of the the chart position kind of <laughs> facetiously you know that's awesome i read uh recently this book on the history of yes and were you originally either considered or or uh wanted someone wanted you to be part of asia was that something that happened well i was with geffen records and uh, one of the things that uh, out, of, out of the blue i was told we love the music but uh, you wanting to do a solo album we want you to join a band and we've got uh, these guys, John Wetton, and uh, who I love, John Wetton and Carl Palmer, who I'd been meeting with to to get into a band together, and uh, then these other two guys, Jeff Downs and Steve Howe, and uh, we want you to get together and join them. And I said, I, I got no interest in doing that. That's not what I'm about at all. And uh, my manager came to me and said, Look, if, unless you do this, Geffen's going to drop you. They've spent six months with on a development deal for you to write music and uh it's not like you're not writing you're writing furiously but um you know they they they've got something here that uh, they think with your songs there that this would be a powerful thing and 
I was kind of pressured into going to London and rehearsing with them, which uh, I did for a couple of days, and and then went to the manager and said, "Look, I don't care if Geffen Geffen dropped me. It's just I really don't want. I have no interest in doing this." So I uh, came back to uh, uh, L.A. thinking, not really believing the company would drop me, but they did. They said, <laughs> "If you don't if you don't join this band, you're dropped." So I was dropped. Wow, music business, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty pretty ruthless. Um, talk about a little bit about the touring band. Uh, a few of the names came out of the guys that are going to be with you on tour. Uh, you know, how'd you pick those guys, and what, what are they going to be doing? Well, um, Lee Pomeroy is uh, just a phenomenal bass player from London. Um, and I've been, obviously, conversing with him for the last couple of months, and... Uh, we get on like a house on fire, and uh, but he was recommended by Rick. Rick's been playing with him a lot, and uh, Rick um, said right from the start, "This is the best bass player I've ever played with," which was quite a statement because he's played with some good guys. And um, so that's the bass player, and then the drummer is a guy who uh, Lou Molina, who pl actually plays on Can Look Away, and right. he's been playing with me since 1980. 88 you know long time whenever there was this, it would either be him or um, the other the only other person that was considered asking was uh, Vinnie Kaliuda who I think is one of the greatest drummers ever absolutely uh, um, but uh, John met Lou and everyone felt comfortable with Lou and uh, I I really love playing with Lou so he became the drummer and um and then uh, Gary Canberra was uh, a guy who was with the Tubes for a long time, and uh, Lou had worked with him and, and recommended him, and I looked into him pretty seriously, and uh, he just met with him, and uh, he, he just is so musical and just plays great uh, guitar, keyboards, and, you know, does it all really well. So I think we got a really, really tight unit. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I'm curious about your thoughts on the music industry now. Not that you left it, but doing soundtracks is a, is a different world, obviously. And, you know, coming back and playing this music or, or returning to pop or prog, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, how do you see the music industry now? And, and have you sort of followed the trends and bands that are out? Do you keep, you keep part of any of that? Well, I personally haven't really kept very, very in, much involved in it because, you know, the movies have taken up so much time. I mean, I've done some songs, uh, although I do the scores, there's a lot of occasions where I've been asked to do songs for the actual movie I'm doing the score for. And I've, I've done, uh, I wrote a couple of songs with Brian Adams and Mutt Lang for uh, a song for National Treasure, which I did the score for. But uh, they ended up not um, uh, choosing the song. And then I wrote a song based on my themes of the film with Brian Adams, and we did a song for The Guardian. And uh, then I wrote uh, material with um, Alicia Keys, and she came into the studio, and we spent a couple of weeks together on a movie called Glory. Is it Glory? I think it was Glory Road. Right. Um, but outside of that, I really hadn't been involved in the record business. And even that... It wasn't really the record businesses. It it was just working with artists. And uh, but 
My son is in a, um, a very successful band called Group Love. They're really great. And they're so good live, and the records are doing really well. So just uh, you know, being being a, I've been looking at it from a dad's point of view, and uh, boy, it's a very different place. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you the downloads and, and the streaming and all that, I mean, you must be thrilled that you got into it when you did. Oh, yeah, and, uh, you know, I con- I'm, I'm, I'm concerned for my son, but uh, he did a really smart thing. He was in a band, and they were actually touring and doing pretty well, and uh, he just came to me one night. He's a phenomenal drummer, and he produces, and he said, uh, I want to stop touring and go to go to USC, uh, go to university and get my degree and and who was I to say no you know <laughs> um, so I was very very uh, supportive of that and he went to USC he got a, um, a, a, a music degree which you know he covered things like Pro Tools uh, studio engineering um, the business of the, mu- the music business which covering publishing and all the aspects of it so he's really gone into it in the in the right way. He really understands the marketplace today and what it does. So sure. he's he knows what to do and he's really really smart with it. Me on the other hand, having not followed it, I have no clue what we're getting into. <laughs> of course, uh, have you? You know, John has been super active musically, releasing a, a couple of things this past year. Have you checked out the uh, Invention of Knowledge album? Have you had a chance to listen to it? No, I haven't. I haven't heard that. Um, that's the thing he did with a guy from Switzerland. Yeah, from a uh, uh, f- band called the Flower Kings. His name's uh, Roy Nestolt, a great guitar player too. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I've heard about it. Um, John played me one very early thing of it, but I, 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 I've just been so busy with this and tying up all the movie stuff. I haven't actually had a chance to hear it. So, uh, last question. Uh, any chance? I, I heard also rumors of that you were working on a solo album again. Uh, I think you might have posted something somewhere about it. Uh, is that still happening, or I, I'm obviously much later with this coming up? Well, the great thing that's happened, I, hopefully a great thing. Um, you know, I did an instrumental album recently uh, in between doing film scores, and uh, which I really enjoyed doing. Uh, and that made me think, you know, I really got to do another rock, stroke, pop, whatever you want to call it, with vocals on, and do another, uh, you know, another can't look away, if you like. And sure. uh, and uh, so I've been really seriously thinking about it. But once this thing came up with ARW, and my guitar's back in my hands, and I'm really thinking that way, that's definitely going to happen, and sooner rather than later. Very exciting. In fact, I've I've, I've actually. T- um, I've uh, recently parted with my agents. I told them I I'm not going to require an agent right now. And so I fired my agent, and in doing so, I've, I, because I said to them, I'm, uh, I'm taking a hiatus, and uh, I'm not sure when i am be... I, I definitely don't want to stop f- doing film scores, but uh, for the uh, foreseeable future, I, I don't see myself doing a score for quite some time. Well, good. Uh, I guess good. Uh, per- selfishly, uh, uh, Trevor, it's been a pleasure. I can't tell you again. I, I just pulled out uh, "Can't Look Away" yesterday to re-listen uh, to it a little bit, and you know, "Promises" and "Eyes of Love" and all that stuff. I love that. One of my favorite albums again. So, thank you so much for uh, the time. I will see you on tour. You guys are uh, kicking off your tour October fourth in Orlando. 
uh, running through November 29th uh, in Portland. And then after that, next year, you have your European tour. So you guys are going to be busy. Uh, uh, correct, correct. <laughs> well, where, where will you be, Roy? Are you going to be in Orlando? Or? I am at uh, the second show, actually, as uh, Fort Lauderdale. So I will uh, oh, well, be there. Oh, well, you've got to come, come back and say hi. We'll have a beer or something. Absolutely. And Trevor, thanks again, man. A pleasure. All right, man. Good talking to you. Bye. Bye like to thank Trevor for the interview. For more information on the ARW Tour, visit arw-tour.com. For other information and interviews, please check theprogreport.com, follow us on Facebook, at The Prog Report on Twitter, or download the podcast on iTunes. Thanks.